0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of China Inc by Bamboo Works, where we discuss the latest business and financial news from China and what it all means. I'm Doug Young, Bamboo Works editor in chief, and I'm joined today by Renee Van Gustine, one of our founding partners, who's also a longtime China watcher and former investment banker. Today we'll look at an interesting new tale of two collars, which is what I'm calling it, which is uh, developing in China's labor market. And we'll also look at Elon Musk, who charmed China last week during a whirlwind visit to Beijing and Shanghai. We'll start with China's labor market, where an interesting new dichotomy has appeared lately. On the one hand, China's increasingly short of blue-collar laborers, so much so that Jiangsu province has just rolled out a plan allowing such workers to retire later. But it's just the opposite for white-collar workers, whose overabundance has led to record-high youth unemployment. Many of those freshly minted college grads. So, Renee, uh, take us through this uh, a little bit. Um, you know, these are very different trends emerging here. Why, what's going on with this dichotomy and how is it affecting China's economy?
1: Well, I think that what's going on is not actually something that we haven't seen before in other parts of the world. Um, China has a large and growing uh, population of uh, college, university, educated people. Um, The number goes up uh, regularly. And, um, you know, I think in most parts of the world, um, people who have spent four years, uh, sometimes six, seven, eight years, if they're going uh, through PhDs and so on, in universities, in colleges, um, not to mention the cost, feel that uh, they're too good for doing any blue-collar job. That's that's not unique to China. You see that in Europe, you see that in the U.S. Um, I think that's a pretty right. global phenomenon. Um, China mm. has tried to overcome that over the past few years, By uh, promoting um, and and trying to expand um, so-called vocational education for uh, children, young uh, adults who do not want to go to college to learn uh, specific trade skills um, and uh, be happy that way and build uh, their life that way, raise families and so on. The second element, I think, is that if you go to university, if only for four years um, and you're not doing engineering, you're doing, uh, you know, more general jobs, teacher or whatever, you just don't have the skills for most of the blue collar jobs that are necessary in the industry, whether it's working in factories or being plumbers or electricians or any of those professions. Now, um, you could say that people can reposition themselves, learn new skills and so on, but then you go right back into the cultural issue of I went to college or university for four years or more, and I'm not going to become a plumber or go on a factory or go work on a factory floor. I think that's um, mm-hmm. that's um, that's not particularly surprising. The issue that is, I think, a bit more specific to China is that. A large majority of young people um, have wanted to go to university and and nothing else, uh, in pursuit of um, you know white collar jobs, government jobs, uh, which come with uh, pretty nice benefits. Working in um, in the tech industry, um, in a lot of um, of those upcoming industries in China.
0: Well, so I mean, how do you? fix this problem though because there's 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 obviously not enough white collar jobs out there but there's a lot of people who don't want to go to the uh, blue collar labor market at at the same time the blue collar labor market needs jobs and there's just not enough bodies to do it uh is does this just mean the labor prices for blue collar work is are just going to start to go up until the jobs start leaving China or you know what what can China do to to try and keep these labor, these blue-collar jobs filled, or can they? Or are
1: they just destined to leave China? Well, I think that, you know, the Chinese government has done certain things, has has tried to push more uh, young people to uh, the vocational school system. That is something that is somewhat working, but obviously not in enough quantities. What else could they do? If you look at what happened in Europe and what happened in the United States, uh, you know, that particular issue has been more so in some countries than others, but has been solved through immigration, um, which obviously uh, does not seem to be a solution that uh, <laughs> that would work in China. Um, right. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, the final... The final element is uh, make the jobs much more appealing, more glorious, if you want. Um, How do you do that uh, for blue-collar jobs? Well, I think mostly, um, you know, you're talking about salary, compensation, make them, you know, attractive. Economically speaking, that growing number of young people feel like it's okay. I'm going to be able to make as much money, maybe more in some cases, than some blue-collar jobs. And uh, that, you know, I'll be able to raise a family and build my life. Now, in in the Chinese system, which seems to change and move between a more capitalistic system and, and a less capitalistic system, I'm not too sure, you know, how the government would look at that, but, you know, for for most people, no matter what, uh, financial incentives are important and and they work for a lot of people.
0: Right, right. I guess the only issue is, though, once you, you know, you can't just say, oh, we'll we'll raise prices for the labor market, because a lot of these uh, blue-collar jobs are very, you know, thin margin, you know, manufacturing type jobs. and. Right, you know the 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 way the reason they're so competitive is because the salaries are low. So that's why I was saying once you start raising these salaries, basically you're saying the jobs are probably going to have to move to other markets where they can be done for those same lower salaries.
1: Yeah, well, I th- I think you have two things here. One obviously is the move by the Chinese government to uh migrate to more advanced manufacturing processes technologies and so on go up market mm. in terms of uh, the products that are manufactured in China and uh, that is definitely a direction uh, that China is going into and I, I I'm pretty sure that they will continue to go down that road mm. the flip side of what you were saying is that if you raise uh, compensation and therefore you raise production costs and prices, and the jobs go to other cheaper labor countries, then then you've kind of solved the problem because, I mean, in a kind of uh, not necessarily very good economically way, but if the jobs go away, then you don't need as many blue-collar workers anymore. <laughs> right? Right. So, right. so yeah. So, so then, you know, you have to look at the bigger picture of unemployment and so on. And how that plays out, and uh, and you still have the problem of obviously having a lot of young people who have gone to universities, have graduated, and and cannot find jobs. But that's that's a problem at the other end of the spectrum that we are discussing.
0: Right, right. All right. Well, I guess we'll have to have to stay tuned to see how they uh, solve the the white collar side. All right. Anya, let's let's move on to a less less uh, serious or a little more fun topic next Uh, and we're going to look at everyone's favorite billionaire entrepreneur, the eccentric Elon Musk. Uh, The Tesla founder was in China last week for a whirlwind tour, which was his first since China's reopening, and he managed to pay calls on quite a few government bigwigs. Among others, Musk met with China's foreign commerce and industry ministers, as well as its highest ranking vice premier in Beijing. Uh, And then he headed to Shanghai, where Tesla's Gigafactory is based and got similar red carpet treatment there. So, Rene, uh, I mean, uh, lots of people are fascinated with Elon Musk. What is is it about him that that gets the Chinese so excited? Um, I don't think even Apple CEO Tim Cook got this much attention during his recent China visit.
1: Yeah, well, no, I mean, this is a fun subject, actually. Uh, You're right. Uh, I I think you've got to look at at it from two different angles. One is obviously government. Uh, The other one is Chinese people. And yes, I mean, Chinese people, lots of them like Elon Musk. Uh, And, you know, I think that's not uh, surprising. I mean, uh, I would not really call him eccentric. I would call him more like a maverick uh, but you know he's fun um, he's obviously very successful he's not afraid of speaking his mind uh, mm-hmm. he can talk about just about anything and everything including sending people to Mars and so on <laughs> so he's a very interesting character you can trust that with Tim Cook at <laughs> Apple and you know Apple has terrific products but I'm sorry I mean Tim Cook is boring and uh, and every time Tim, Tim Cook tries to look excited, uh, you know it, it doesn't quite work. Mm. Elon Musk doesn't have to try to look excited, so I think that's why a lot of people in China and other parts of the world like him. When it comes to government, there are a number of differences between, say, Musk and Tesla on one side, and Tesla and any other business that Musk touches or gets involved with and and cook and apple on the other side first of all if you if you look at musk slash tesla that is obviously smack in the middle of one of the most important uh, things to the chinese government in terms of um, industrial development uh, which is you know new energy Electric vehicles and and the whole electric vehicle uh, supply chain and ecosystem, including batteries and all of that, where China is obviously um, trying to build a um, a supply chain Hmm. and an ecosystem that uh, will be number one in the world um so that that is quite different from what apple does Apple you know builds products that are they're great they're terrific I love them they're you know they're easy to use and so on but you know for to the chinese government i mean Apple is a you know smartphone manufacturer whatever, and so are a lot of other chinese companies and and that's not you know that's not one of the important strategic directions for the Chinese government, at least that I'm aware of. There's some other differences, too. I think that, uh, you know, we don't know what Musk has been talking about in those meetings, but he obviously has um, SpaceX. And we know that uh, China is extremely interested in everything that has to do with space as well. So could that be part of his attraction uh, to the Chinese government? Possibly. Um, he's, you know, also in, in other types of businesses, leave alone, and, and leave alone Twitter and push it to the side. But, you know, Neuralink and, and so on. So whereas Apple is, you know, very focused on one track, Musk has uh, his fingers in a lot of different things. And I'm sure the Chinese government is interested in because they're pretty futuristic things in terms of, where they're going, how they help build the future of humanity. So that could could explain that. He is also, unlike Apple, a direct employer in China, and a direct employer in particular in and around Shanghai. We all know that Apple employs a lot of people in China, but they're not employed by Apple. They're employed by Foxconn and other suppliers, Whereas yeah. uh, Musk is a direct employer in China and is also exporting electric vehicles uh, to other parts of the world from China. So I think that when you look at the two you know, and compare them and so on, there are some pretty significant differences between Musk slash Tesla slash slash whatever hmm. and, and Tim Cook. <laughs> yes,
0: you've uh, made that pretty clear. Well, what about uh, just on the broader basis? I mean, we've seen Musk and and Tim Cook are are sort of two of uh, quite a number of uh, big name CEOs. I think Jamie Dimon from uh, JP Morgan was just here as well. Uh, Do you think that, uh, you know, these guys sort of getting this kind of high profile treatment in China, you know, reflect in any way China's desire to show foreigners it's open again for business and
1: You know, are foreigners buying it? Well, I mean, clearly, uh, clearly that's one of the drivers. If we go back to uh, December last year, after China abandoned the zero COVID policy, uh, very early on, the Chinese government came out with statements that were already back then encouraging foreign companies, foreign investors to come back to China, especially Hmm. Uh, especially direct investors, companies, and so on. And uh, we are at the beginning of June, um, and uh, that, that has not happened on a large scale. More recently, there have been efforts on the diplomatic side to entice foreign governments to encourage their uh, big companies to become more active in China again and so on. So, yes, I mean, there's a there's a very clear push by China in that direction. And therefore, it should not be a surprise that, you know, some of these big CEOs, chairmen uh, hmm. from global companies are welcome in China these days. Um It's not, I'm sure, it's not working as fast and as as big as the government hoped. They're going to keep pushing. They're going to continue to try and attract investments back um, and and get companies to increase uh, their footprint in China and uh, and get the uh, companies who are not there yet mm. uh, to come as well. They're certainly going to continue to push in that direction. Whether that will happen or not, I think it will happen. How widely and quickly will it happen? I think not that fast and, and not on a very wide basis. Not, mm. I'm sure, at least as wide as the Chinese government would like. There's still a, a, you know a lot of, a number. Of uh you know question marks in the minds of foreign entrepreneurs about you know what is going on in China with respect to the economy number one, with respect to regulations, with uh, respect to the need to diversify supply chains and then the geopolitical tension so so you've got a number of issues there that that need to be worked out. I think before. A lot, a much greater number of companies will feel comfortable hmm. investing again or growing uh, in China. So I don't think it's going to be very fast. Okay.
0: Uh, yeah, I probably tend to agree. Well, thanks everybody for joining us this week. Uh, we'll wrap it up there and our our next program will look at China's big tobacco crackdown. And we'll also zero in on the latest breakup on China's corporate scene, uh, this one involving a tech company called Agora. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us and rate us and share us on your favorite podcast app. Meantime, hope to see you all next week. Goodbye for now.
1: Thank you. Goodbye.